Gracious God and Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. So, the Gospel reading on the back of your bulletin is our sermon text, especially the first several verses. We read in verse 22 of Luke 13, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. So he's going there to accomplish his life's purpose, to die and rise for all humanity. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, and it's interesting, he replies not with a question, as he often does, but with a statement of concern for them. You make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. Roman numeral number one, Jesus will not encourage speculation about others. He will not encourage you to speculate about what you don't know, about what's his business, not yours or mine. I like the last chapter of uh, John's Gospel where Jesus reveals to Peter how he will die. He'll be bound and taken to a place he does not want to go to, uh, signifying his death. And, and Peter, after hearing this, he looks back and he sees John behind them. And he says, Lord, what about this one? And Jesus essentially says, none of your business. None of your business. You know, we cannot resist comparing ourselves to other people, and we become suspicious of God's intentions when we assume that somebody else has been blessed to a greater degree than we've been blessed. We think that's not fair. What's God doing? I live better than he does, so on and so forth. We make all kinds of excuses for ourselves. We love to take the spotlight off of our own failures and shine that spotlight on the failure of others because it makes us feel better about ourselves. But letter A, this avoids repentance and it does not lead to faith. When we obsess over our neighbor's sins, we're unable to do anything about our own. We ask, will few be saved? Jesus turns the question back on us and ask, will you be saved? It's a good question. So letter B, he directs your attention to yourself. To yourself. Why? Roman numeral two, the narrow door demands everything you have. It demands everything of you. In other words, we don't have time to dwell on the sins and the failures of others. Each of us has more than we can handle when it comes to our own struggles, our own sins. Letter A, Jesus says, make every effort, the, the Greek imperative or command there is agonizista. It means, uh, well, 
I'll preach at the meeting in just a moment, but make every effort, agonizasta, to enter through the narrow door. Letter B, the, the dictionary citation for this in, in the Greek dictionary, agonizomai, and the noun form is agonia. We get our word agony from that. It's a term used in contests, in athletics, in military conflict. And it denotes extreme exertion. Maximum effort is required in this struggle. As Vince Lombardi would say, you leave it all on the field. It means you don't hold anything back. It means you give it your all until you have nothing left to give. That's the meaning. Number one, Jesus uh, well, this is St. Paul being quoted in 1 Timothy 6. Fight, agonizu, the good fight, the agona of faith. The writer of Hebrews, let us run with endurance the race, the agona marked out for us. And then Jesus is in the garden. The night before he's crucified, he's praying. As we, we read, being in agony or agonia, he prayed more earnestly. Now pay attention to that. Facing death, what did he do? He, do, he, he did what only you and I can do. He prayed. He's just as human as we are, yet without sin. He doesn't resort to supernatural power. He lays that aside in order to suffer and die for us. So he resorts to what we resort to, which is prayer. And yet he's just as divine as the Father, which means he could have avoided death altogether. It was within his power to do so. He prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. That cup was full of God's righteous anger, God's wrath toward humanity for our sin. Now Jesus knew that in his death, all this righteous anger of God would be consumed by him. He would drink this cup down to the very dregs. And he would become the sole object of God's wrath. That was the agonia that he was confronting. And that's why he prayed, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Notice how when he speaks of the cup, it's always framed by the will of the Father. Jesus was free to refuse that cup of wrath, but he did not refuse it. He chose it, and he drained it completely for all of us. And my friends, the spirit that enabled him to say yes to God's will, that same spirit, he's poured out on us in our baptism. That very same spirit. So whereas, number two, the narrow door demands everything you have, Roman numeral three, the Lord provides everything you need. And, and this is really summarized. I quote it here for you in Romans 8, 13, letter A. For if you live according to the flesh, meaning according to your sinful nature, which is with you until you die, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
Number one, this struggle equals repentance. This turning away from what the sinful nature beckons you to do. We do that 24-7. That's repentance. And repentance itself is God's gift. Scripture makes that undeniably clear. I cite Acts 5.31 where the apostles say this. God has exalted Jesus to his right hand to give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. You see, repentance is just as much a gift as forgiveness is. You can't turn away from self on your own. You won't do that on your own. You've got to have a new heart. You have to have a new spirit within you that enables you to do that. We struggle against ourselves. That's the agony. We struggle against ourselves, against our sinful nature. That's the fight. That's the contest. Number two, this struggle results from who you already are in Christ. It's the result of your salvation. It's not the cause. We're not saved because we struggle against sin. We struggle against sin because we're saved. You have to have the Holy Spirit within you, giving you new desires, a new direction, in order to say no to the old. You can't do it otherwise. The man without the Spirit of God does not even receive the things that come from God. You know, when you love someone, when you love somebody, there's nothing that you will not do for them. St. Augustine wrote, love makes all things easy. Even when it's disagreeable, you do it. And we love him because he first loved us. He loved us at the cross and he continues to love us every day when we fail. That kind of love creates love in us. The writer of Hebrews said it like this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, focus on him now, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, the secret to not growing weary, the secret to continuing the struggle against sin and our old nature is to fix our eyes on Jesus who endured the cross for us all. Letter B, your entire earthly life is a journey through the narrow door. Your entire life is a journey through the narrow door. Struggling against our sinful nature is not a momentary thing. It is a lifelong challenge and Speaking in terms of, of a race, you know, the, the Christian life is not a sprint, it is an endurance race. St. Paul said this in Acts 14. He said, through many hardships, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. Through many hardships. Strenuous effort is required throughout our lives, and the strength to do that must come from above. It doesn't come from within.
our neighbor, uh, when he was in high school, uh, he wrestled for North, and I went to see a couple of his matches, and, and I learned there. I, I, I never wrestled. I never wanted to, uh, but uh, he was quite good. And I, th I believe the high school matches, there's, there's three periods, and each period's two minutes. And two minutes does not seem like a very long time, but if you're the one on the mat, I'm sure two minutes can seem like a very long time. Now that's what we call athleticism, to be able to do that for three periods. You know, in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 32, Jacob wrestled all night with God, and he overcame him. He was renamed as a result. That's athleticism. Jesus wrestled all night in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wrestled not against a sinful nature. He did not have a sinful nature. But he wrestled instead against that human desire in all of us to avoid suffering, to avoid rejection. But he overcame that desire by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in him. The same resource available to you and to me. That's athleticism. And the Spirit of Jesus lives in us as a result of our baptism into Christ. Therefore, you and I wrestle as well. You and I wrestle against ourselves. We wrestle against our sinful nature. And, and we struggle, not just for two minutes, not just for one night, but 24-7, 365 days a year, every year of our earthly lives. That's athleticism of a different sort. Roman numeral four, athletics are being redefined today. Uh, I read about esports, um, cyber athletes, people that play video games for money, professional esports. Uh, I, I think the game is called StarCraft, I'm not sure. But the people that excel, the gamers that excel in StarCraft, they're millionaires, okay? And, and that, to us, it seems so silly because we think this is just a game, right? But you know, basketball began as just a game. Baseball was just a game. 120 years ago, 130, 40 years ago, it was just a game. Then it became a profession. And, and these, these gamers are honored. They're looked up to, they're idolized. I think, really? But now ESPN, too, I think, carries this. Watching these guys play their games. It's like watching somebody play billiards. You know? It's not for me, but a lot of people follow it. That's athletics being redefined. Uh, there was an article in the paper this past week about a blind man uh, who plays beat baseball. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, the, the ball makes a sound, it beeps, and then I guess you're able to hit it. And he's on a team from Indianapolis that just won the Beat Baseball World Series. That's athleticism. There's Special Olympics. There's industrial athletes in factories. It's being redefined. But my friends, 
Athletics was first redefined some 2,000 years ago, when in our gospel lesson for today, our Lord described the Christian life as a contest, a struggle against self until the day we die, in which every effort is demanded. That's athleticism as well. Not for a perishable crown, but for an imperishable one. And the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit that impelled Jesus to the cross, that Spirit impels us for the banquet that never ends. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.